I'm pretty much, I thought I was over most of my cold stuff, but I, I was blessed with a tickle in my throat this week that caused me to choke. So I'm going to have tea up here, and we're just going to pray that I don't start choking in front of everybody, because that's going to be really pretty. Um, how did y'all like the missions conference, those of you that came? How many of y'all were here last week, last Sunday? Heard the message from Brother, uh, Brother Travis Gilbert. Wonderful message, amen? amen? What was the title of the sermon, you remember? <laughs> My wife's almost got it, called to, called to serve, called to serve. Uh, are you called to do something for the Lord? Yes, you are. And, and uh, I, if you look on the back of your bulletin, there's a different sermon title. That's for next week. We're going to start that series next week. Uh, I was studying on uh, Thursday evening. Late at night, was looking at some scripture, and, and this scripture came across me, and it just grabbed me. So uh, we're going to be in Colossians. You can open your Bible to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. And while you turn there, I want to tell you a story about a lady named Janice Munson uh, and her husband, Dan. Uh, they were on a shopping trip in Littleton, Colorado, and when they, they came up behind a silver minivan that was moving along at a very slow pace, and that minivan... Moving at this slow pace, swerved first onto the shoulder and then into oncoming traffic. And as Janice glanced into that minivan, she was startled to see that the driver appeared to be asleep. And so Dan engaged his flashers and began waving his arm and blinking his lights and honking his horn, trying to warn the approaching traffic. And and Janice just decided she had to act. And without a word to her husband, she opened the door of her car, got out, and started running. Of course, they're moving very slowly, so it wasn't like an action movie necessarily, but she was running alongside this van, and, and she grabbed the door handle and banged on the window and, 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 and yelled, you're going the wrong way, you're going to crash. And the woman in the car driving that van only stared back at Janice with this vacant expression. So Janice swung the door open. She vaulted herself into the vehicle she slammed the gear into park and, and bringing that van to finally an abrupt stop. And seconds later a, stream of, uh, later, a stream of cars coming from the opposite direction whizzed safely past the van and, um, and its occupants. And afterwards, the police told Janice that the driver was having a, a, a diabetic insulin shock episode. She, was, she had been taken to a nearby hospital. She was treated and released. In the book, In a World Without Heroes, George Roach defines heroism as an extraordinary act of goodness performed by ordinary persons from whom we do not expect it. That's true of Janice Munson. She was just this 39-year-old wife and mom who risked her life to save others' lives. Extraordinary action from an ordinary person. And if you didn't know this, it's true of biblical heroes as well. One of the great things I, I love about the Bible is that it is a book that tells the story of God with real people, not with uh, uh, like uh, Marvel movie heroes but real, ordinary people, people, uh, who, uh, people as they really are, with no sugarcoating. You get to see their flaws. You get to see, hear their excuses. 
Scripture's full of examples of individuals who, when faced with a God-given call or task, they felt ill-equipped, insecure, sure that the Almighty had chosen the wrong person. God called Abraham and Sarah to kickstart a world-blessing nation. And in Genesis 17, Paul, uh, Abraham says, he, it says he fell upon his face and laughed and said within his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Translation, he's saying, God, you got the wrong couple. There's no way it's going to happen. We are too old, God. Or God charged Moses. Remember Moses? He charged Moses to to lead his people out of bondage. Moses said unto God in Exodus 3.11, Who am I, God, that, that I should go to Pharaoh? I mean, he's the king of Egypt. That I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Translation, Lord, you've got the wrong guy. I don't have the ability. He gave those excuses later in that in that conversation between him and the Lord. In fact, he said, I don't have the ability. Not only do I not have the ability, I'm deficient. I can't, God. God told Gideon to free Israel from foreign oppression. Judges 6, 5, Gideon says unto the Lord, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He's saying, God, there must be some kind of a mistake here, Lord. I'm a nobody. I'm too unimportant. The Lord appointed Jeremiah as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, right at the beginning of his book, Jeremiah 1, verse 6, he said, I, oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. It's estimated that Jeremiah was maybe 16, 17 years old. He was just, he was young. He's saying to the Lord, are you sure it's me you're trying to talk to here, Lord? I'm, I'm too young to do this. God sent his angel to Gabriel to Mary with the massive responsibility of carrying, birthing, and raising the long-awaited Christ. Mary said unto the angel in Luke 134, how can this be since I'm a virgin? You know, there wasn't a, a hint of unwillingness in her tone in Mary, but understandable uncertainty. Little old me? I, I, how is this even possible, Lord? I, I'm just a young girl from a poor family. What about Paul? God commissioned Paul to share the gospel not just with the Jews, but now with the world. To take the gospel global. And Paul obeyed. But he did so knowing that it was, he was undeserving of such a task. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. His excuse would have been, Don't you remember I am the chiefest of sinners, Lord? I've screwed up too badly, would have been his excuse if he had continued in that line of thinking. I love this because these are real people. They're real, as real as you and me. 
They're real people who want to serve a real God who has given them real assignments and tasks in this real world at a real point in history facing real uncertainty because of their own real deficiencies. And I bring these examples to you this morning because not to remind us or to remind us that we're not alone when we feel like we're not enough. Brother Travis preached a wonderful sermon, a sermon that is about calling to serve, fulfilling the call to share the gospel with the nations. It's a call that is not just for pastors and missionaries. It's a call for every Christian. It's a call for every member of Northwest Baptist Church, regardless of your age, your ability, uh, how long you've been a Christian. It's a call for every single one of you. You're not alone. I think many of us often feel the same way as these guys we just heard about. Maybe last week you were confronted with the reality of God's call upon your life. I hope you were. Either because of Travis's preaching, either because of some kind of conviction that you felt sometime in the past, or, or maybe because of just your time in the Word of God. You've had, but you've had some of the same excuses that we've just listened to. I'm too old. I don't have that kind of ability, Lord. I'm just a nobody. Why would anyone listen to me? Why would you want to use me, God? I'm too young. I'm too poor. God, I've messed up too badly. Yet in Matthew 28, when Jesus is with his disciples at the end of that, at the end of that book, right before he ascends into heaven, he gives his church a commission. All powers given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Each and every Christian, every member of Northwest Baptist Church has an extraordinary call upon their lives. To share the gospel and make disciples. To win souls for the glory of God and then aid in maturing those new believers. We've all been called into the king's service. There's no aging out. There's no excuses. And if this church is going to grow and prosper and do the work of the gospel, we're going to have to quit giving excuses. And I'm not saying this just to you. I'm just as capable of sharing excuses. We must get this into our hearts. We're sent as heralds to announce this good news of the gospel to the world because every minute people are perishing apart from Christ, barreling towards a godless eternity. And out of his incredible love, God has chosen to send his people into the world as the only lifeline that there is. That is the job of each and every one of us. Anyone ever feel like Moses? Or Sarah? Or Jeremiah? God, you've got the wrong person. I can't do this. There must be some kind of mistake. If you've ever struggled with this extraordinary call, for whatever reason, 
I think there are answers in this in these short few verses on how to answer that call, that it doesn't have to be super complicated. You know, this is, we're still kind of, we're in January, this is the last Sunday of January, and we're still in kind of the, the beginning of the year, and I, I don't know, how many of y'all made any uh, uh, New, year, New Year's resolutions? How many of y'all made more than one? You have like a whole list. Oh, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Let me tell you, that's a mistake. I'm just going to be honest with you. At least it's a mistake if I try to do it that way, because I can't focus on four things and be successful. I got to focus on one thing. Hey, if you need a one thing, focus on this. There's two things that I see in this passage. If you're in Colossians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 2 through 6, and then we're going to jump in. Beginning in verse 2, it says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom. Toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this short passage. I thank you for uh, directing me towards this, Lord. And I pray that this morning that I will do, uh, I will do what you would have me to do. That uh, that the, that our people, that myself, we would hear this message and we would engage with it with our lives, Lord, and that we will not walk out of this place um, without making a commitment to follow through on your word. We love you and we trust you. In Christ's name, amen. We can faithfully serve and answer that extraordinary call by doing, by doing two things that I see. I got two points. Point number one is through our prayer life. What is the first thing Paul encourages them to do? Continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. Uh, and, and he says, and watch. So this isn't just uh, uh, praying uh, like some kind of rote, uh, uh, habitual way. This is a watchful, alert attitude towards prayer. Uh, do you want to be faithful in the ministry that God has given you? Paul says, get to praying. Pray. Prayer should never be far from your minds. Uh, he, he tells the Colossians, you should never stop praying. You should always be engaged in prayer. Serving as your constant companion, prayer should be there with you. Paul modeled this. If you go uh, back to the beginning of this book in, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I never cease. Uh, I'm going to have to quote it correctly. He says, uh, for this, and do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He prayed for them constantly. This is what Paul modeled. And so that's how we should follow. We should follow his example. We should be constantly in prayer. We're to pray alert. How many of y'all ever drive in Houston? Oh, man. Uh, can you drive in Houston and be distracted? I mean, you can. There's plenty of people that do it, uh, but what is that? What do we call that? Dangerous is what we call that. It's good to be alert while you're driving in Houston. You, you've got to be focused. We should be awake, not sleepy. We should be watchful in how we pray. Colossians were to be mindful of their assi assignment as they pray, mindful of their brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Mindful of the constant threat of false teachers uh, that Eric talked about this morning, about different false uh, 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 doctrines out there. Mindful of the soon return of the Lord. Mindful of the lost people around them. John Piper wrote, he said, We cannot know that what prayer is. Uh, we cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is a war. You may not feel like life is a war even driving on Houston streets. Or you might think it's some other kind of war, but there is a war taking place in our world. A war for the souls of men. And we are in the Lord's army called to this extraordinary task of sharing the gospel. And we should be engaged in prayer. We should be alert that we're at war. We should pray with diligence and urgency as though lives depend upon it because lives do depend upon it. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So not just watchful and alert, but also uh, 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 thankful We should pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. It's not all desperation and doom. I mean, when we're driving on the streets of, when we're driving on I-10, sometimes it feels like this is desperation and doom. You know, whenever that crazy guy goes from lane number three all the way to the exit and you're in the middle of his path, that seems like doom. But it's not all desperation and doom in this uh, uh, pursuit of fulfilling this extraordinary call. We're talking, when we pray, we talk to a holy and sovereign God who has, as Jesus said, all power in heaven and in earth. We're, we're going to the one who has the ability to provide all that we need. We, we're acknowledging in prayer our neediness and, our, and his provision, his ability to, to, to supply. We're celebrating Christ's intercession that he is, uh, the Bible says that he is interceding for us right there at the, uh, in heaven with those seven candlesticks. It says he's interceding for you and me, for each church. It's awesome. We should celebrate also the ease by which we come into the throne of grace. So while we pray with wartime urgency, we can also pray with joyful gratitude. And while you pray, Paul says, hey man, don't forget to pray for us too. That us, he says, with all praying also for us, that us, I think it includes at least Paul and Timothy, but I also think it includes those listed at the end of this letter. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark. I like Mark's name better. It's easier to pronounce. Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, and Archippus. You want to be faithfully engaged in gospel ministry and in, in fulfilling this extraordinary call? Then pray for other ministers. And when I say ministers, I'm not talking about me and Brother Lester and a couple of missionaries you might have met before. I'm talking about each other. Uh, each of you are a minister of this gospel. You, you have the opportunity to share, to live this out. We should be praying for one another. Lift them up in prayer. Uh, uh, look beyond yourself and your gifts and your circumstances and your successes and failures. Look out to the body of Christ at work and then lift them up in prayer. He asks for them to pray for three things. I think we should take note of. Praying also for us, verse 3, that God would open unto us a door of 
a door of utterance. He's asking them to pray for three things. The first one is opportunity. Would you, Paul is saying, would you pray for us to have opportunity? Paul and his team were looking uh, for inroads to share the gospel, that which, uh, that which he again refers to as the mystery of Christ. These workers were trying to get into families, countries, and cultures with this good news of the gospel. Much like the missionaries that are re- represented on these walls. Much like our missionaries, Tim and Andreas, they're in Panama. They're looking for inroads. But while they're looking for inroads and they're, they're, they're seeking to do those and fulfill those inroads and fulfill those opportunities, we should also be looking for inroads to share the gospel. We should be praying for one another for opportunities that God will bring to us in the right time. And then we should patiently and expectantly wait for God to bring us those opportunities. Pray for opportunities. Pray, pray that doors will be open and hearts will be softened. Pray for God's guidance, guidance on how, to, uh, on how to share the gospel. Pray for opportunity. The second thing he says, he says that, I, uh, uh, that I may make it manifest. As I ought to speak. I see two things in this verse. First, he's asking for prayer for tenacity. Have you ever known anybody who's tenacious? It's a, it's a it's kind of a big word in, in our present day, at least, you know, where words get smaller and smaller, I think. Have you ever known anybody that's tenacious? What, what, how, how would you describe tenacious? Won't let go. I had a friend growing up uh, in high school. Uh, we were in band together. He played the saxophone. That's not important. And he invited me over to his pool uh, to swim in the pool uh, one day after band camp. And so I went over to his house, and they had a dog. And he said, hey, make sure you go to the front door. Okay. He didn't tell me why. Make sure you go to the front door and ring the doorbell. Okay. So I went to the front door, and I rang the doorbell. Nobody came to the door. I rang the doorbell. Nobody came to the door. Come on, man. I can hear them in the backyard. They're back there. So I thought, well, I'll just go to the gate. And I walk around. And I go to the gate, and I open the gate. I say, hey, I'm here. And then there was a dog that was almost right on top of me. He had a 100-pound Doberman Pinscher. I can't remember her name, but she was ready to be tenacious and to not let go. I was suddenly backed against his wall, and she was on me like white on rice, man. Thankfully, she didn't attack. He got her off, and, and he said, man, you should have gone to the front door. I said, I went to the front door. He said, well, then I could have given you a treat to give her, and then you'll be your best friend. And I, he said, here, give this to her. And I gave her a treat, and she was my best friend. She's sweet as could be. She'd play with you. You know what? She loved to play with uh, this big knotted, uh, big knotted rope. You ever done that with a dog? But she'd grab a hold of that, and she would just, and then says, never let go. She was tenacious. And that's what he's asking them to, to pray for him to have, to have tenacity. Not only are opportunities needed, but Paul needed to be dogged and determined because hardship is involved in gospel ministry. And we need to be dogged and determined to share the gospel. We shouldn't shrink away from it like we do and, and say, God, I don't know if you're big enough for me to share the gospel. I don't know if you really can put those words in my mouth. Oh, we do that so frequently, don't we? We do it so frequently that we forget looking for opportunities. 
We just decide, well, there's no way. God can't use me. I'm the wrong vessel. I'm sorry, but that's not what the Bible teaches us. We need to pray for tenacity. And hardship will come. We're going to face persecution. Paul faced persecution. He first faced rejection. He faced isolation and deprivation. Only God's power could sustain Paul's ministry, and it did. So Paul pleads with the Colossians, pray for me to have tenacity, persistence, determination. And the second thing that I see in verse 3 and in verse 4, verse 4, that I might make it manifest as we ought to speak. Make it manifest. That means he wants it to be clear. He's saying, would you pray for me to have clarity as I share the gospel? Would you, would you pray that what I share with these people who are lost, that it will be clear in their, before their eyes? Even the great apostle Paul needed God's help to articulate in an understandable way the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to uncover it correctly. So pray for clarity. We should pray for these things. All Christians are called to make disciples of all nations. What an extraordinary call. What an extraordinary call. But according to Paul, one of the ways we can participate in this gospel ministry is through our, uh, our prayer life. And guess what? We can all do that. We can all do that. No matter how limited you feel, you can pray. Gosh, if you were, even if you're mute, you can pray. Praying for brothers and sisters in Christ with urgency, thanksgiving, that they may have opportunity, tenacity, and clarity in their service to the Lord. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something. I know you got your Bible and your notes all situated, but I'm going to ask you, if you're a member of Northwest Baptist Church, to stand up. Would you please do that? I'm sorry, you're going to have to pick up your notes and settle your Bible again. You're going to have to shake, uh, you're going to have to like get comfortable again so you can go to sleep. I know. Look at one another. Don't look at me. Stop looking at me. Look at one another. Marty, don't look at me. Look over there. You see around this room, what, are, what, are, what is, the, everybody that's standing is a what? It's a member. If you're a member, if you're a biblical member, that means you're a baptized, believing member of this body. And um, look at one another. Again, and pick somebody that you're going to pray for this week. Pray for these things. Pray with alertness and urgency. Pray with, with thanksgiving. Pray asking them to have opportunity, tenacity, and clarity. You can sit down now. Okay, get comfortable so you can go back to nap. We can all do this. I could stand here and give you excuses that you might provide. I'm too new to the faith. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too whatever. I had a coach in, in, in uh, junior high football. I will edit his, uh, his version of this saying. He said, everybody, everybody, excuses are like armpits. Everybody has one and they all stink. Hey, let's drop the excuses and let's pray at least. But Paul did not stop there. I said we have two things that I identify. First, 
He identifies prayer, continuing prayer, and watching the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us the door of utterance and speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. The second thing that I see, the second point of this sermon, is that we can, we can fulfill and answer this extraordinary call through pure living. Living purely. Sounds like a high standard, by the way, it kind of is. Thank the Lord he has grace and mercy towards us. But as we move, as we move on, as we move forward, we can minister uh, we can minister through the others through prayer, but also in our own life, we can minister by having a progressive holiness in our life, a growing holiness in our life, a purity where we are repeatedly turning away from sin and repenting and seeking to live in a way that glorifies God. If you remember uh, the passage I read last week from Corinthians where it says, whether you eat or you, whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is the call to purity, to live in a way that pleases him. Read verse 5 again. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Listen, that concern about this walking in wisdom, the concern is towards others. It's towards others, outsiders, those who are without, not without wisdom, without Christ. It's what he's talking about. Those that are not in Christ. Paul's saying that the, the believers in Colossae are to live lives around unbelievers marked by wisdom. God's wisdom that should characterize their life. Like someone who spent the day training and, and riding and grooming horses is likely to smell like a barn. Those who spend time talking and praying and walking and abiding with God should smell like a pure life. The aroma of God should be all over our life. Christians were to pursue holiness as an act of worship, but we also do it as an evangelistic strategy. I will be the first to admit that I don't believe that the best way to reach people with the gospel is to grab tracks, and I don't have anything against tracks, but to go grab a track and then just find any stranger you can and stuff it into their hand and say, hey, read it. It's going to save your life. No, the greatest way that you're going to have an inroad is by living a pure life, a life marked by wisdom before others so that they will look at your life and they'll, they'll, they'll smell the, uh, the, the, the God on you. They'll smell that there's something, they'll see that there's something different about you. And we live in a life, we live in a world that, is, uh, that, it, that ignores holiness. It is decidedly unholy, this culture that we live in is. I mean, think about it. A group of people characterized, and, and Colossians 3 lived in a society characterized by Colossians 3 verse 5. They're going to stand out. The people in Colossians 3 5 were, were, not, uh, were not holy people. We're to live a, a wise life. That life might be offensive to others. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. God's word is offensive. It's offensive to me and you because it demands that we answer to a holy God who is sovereign over our lives. I, I don't really, you know, in my flesh, I don't like the idea of submitting myself to a king. 
I'd rather be the king. Sounds like a good job to me. I get to decide everything and everybody gets to bring all their stuff. That's not the world we live in though. That's not reality. What's reality is, is that we, we are under the power and mercy of a holy God. And we should live as such. It's offensive though. But it can be a very attractive life to those who are without Christ. Not surprisingly, this pursuit of holiness should affect our speech. I want to brag on my sons here. Ben, wake up. I have these two beautiful sons. Uh, well, I have three beautiful sons, okay? And we're going to have a daughter, so if you didn't know. Sorry, I just decided to do that right now, you know. <laughs> Pay attention, okay? Pay attention. I got three beautiful sons, and, uh, and uh, God has blessed us tremendously with my wife's career and education, uh, which means that our boys go to public school. How many of y'all went to public school? Praise the Lord. I loved public school. Um, but let me tell you, uh, the greatest examples for holiness are not in a third grade classroom or in a sixth grade classroom. And I love that my boys, when we watch movies together or whenever they're at school or Ben's on a baseball team now and he's with, he has all these new teammates and, and, uh, you know, one of the things they always, he always notices, Ben and John both, they always notice about their time with others is when someone has bad language. I don't know why they do that, Dad. Why do they need to do that? I praise God that my boys seek to have, uh, to avoid that in their language. Christian, you and I, our walk should mean that we just sound different when we talk. How many of y'all like steak? I like steak. We're going to buy steak this week. I just decided that too. I love steak. Uh, How many of you have ever had steak with no salt on it? But when you take a steak and you liberally apply, you liberally, I like that word, liberally apply. It means you just crust that thing up. Not totally white, but you just plenty of that nice, coarse, fat, kosher salt on there. And you put it on that grill at, and, at, at 700 degrees and just, you know, it's a, oh, yeah. And then you cut into it when it's nice and pink and juicy on the inside. And it goes, moo, because it's not barely done. And it tastes incredible. What did he say that we're to be like? <laughs> what our speech should be like? That your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Hey, man, we live in a world that is ugly. It has a lot of ugly language. Melissa and I were watching a, a documentary this weekend, and, and I thought, man, why do they have to continue to use that word they did over and over? I mean, it's not necessary to this story, yet they did. But you know what? Whenever you are out in the world, when my boys are at school and they're surrounded by their friends who, who have this kind of language, and they talk differently because they believe in a holy living God who honors salty speech. I mean, not like salty words. You know what I mean. Speech that makes them sound like there's something different about them. Listen, when, we're, when we insert uh, 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 the God's mercy and grace and kindness and holiness into everyday conversation, it just kind of makes the world a better place. We're to, we're to, that's to be lived out in our life. 
Be wise. Verse 6. Walk in, uh, excuse me, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt that, you, salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I think what way we could sum up Paul, what he's saying, he says, be wise in how you live around unbelievers. And be gracious in how you speak around them. Why? Why? Why do I have to do that? Why can't I just be like the rest of them? Because... We're going to encounter individuals, real people, who need God. Who need to know God. Who need to know that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life is a real thing. They need to know that. They need to be around people who who might at first seem offensive because they're just always so nice and, and they don't talk the way I do. They'll, I, I've seen time and again in my life that for some reason they're attracted to that and they want to know why are you different? Why is your conduct different? Why, why is, why are you, how are you so wise? I'm not, but, some, but sometimes by the grace of God I can be wise. They'll have questions, observations. They'll they'll have thoughts. And that gives us an opportunity to make the most of that opportunity and share the gospel. There's a lot of ugliness in our world. I mean a lot of it. A lot of anger. A lot of impatience right now. And I don't think that Christians or members of Northwest Baptist Church should be adding to that. We need to Get off Facebook. We get our hackles up, you need to get off Facebook. We need to get face to face with people who have been drawn by the power of prayer and by the attractiveness of a holy life. Make the most of that opportunity and share with them the gospel and answer this extraordinary call. So, what are the two ways we can answer this extraordinary call? Through our through our prayer life. Remember what we did just a minute ago? You've already forgotten about it, right? We stood up and we did what? If you're a member of this church, you stood up and you did what? You identified someone in this church. Goodness, you could identify everybody in this church and pray for every one of you. You're sitting there in your seat right now. Look at these walls. You see these flags? These flags all represent a place in the world where we have a missionary. You see these, uh, these missionary letters? Have you ever, how many of y'all look at these on a regu- like at least once a year? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Marty said once a year. Yeah, I could do that. On every single one of these missionary letters, I, I bet if you look carefully enough, you will find contact information. You'll find a phone number. You might find a WhatsApp address. You might find an, ad- an address to a church or an email address. Hey, how about we take it a step further and you reach out to one of these ministers of the gospel. And this week, you just share with them an encouraging note saying, I'm praying for you. I'm so blessed to be the pastor of this church. I'm blessed because I'm surrounded by people who I know pray for me. But I will tell you, every single time someone looks at me and says, let me tell you, I'm praying for you. Bob Simpson does it every week. 
It is encouragement. Because I need it, but we all need it, friends. How will you respond this week? Let's stand together. As we stand, Brother Eric is going to come, Melissa is going to play, and we're going to have an opportunity to respond to God's word. I don't know how God wants you to answer this extraordinary call, but I know you can pray and you can repent. You can live a holy life. I encourage you to do that.